Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Prague Watch, music that tells a story, with your friend and host, Big Tony Rousick, a.k.a. Prague Squatch. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome back to Prague Watch, my friends. Your host, Big Tony, here for the next 90 or so minutes. And I have a really great show planned for you this time. Those of you who have been with me for a while will surely know that I am a fan of UK multi-instrumentalist, composer, singer, engineer, and producer, John Mitchell. In fact, I did a special on John back in episode 246, and it featured his music many times on this show. For those less familiar with John, let's just say that he gets around. He's been involved with more than a half dozen bands, including Kino, The Urbane, It Bites, Arena, Frost, Blind Ego, and his own Lonely Robot project. He recently began a record label with Chris Hillman, who is the owner of Magic Eye Records, not to be confused with the musician who played with American folk rockers The Birds. Anyway, White Star currently has three great up-and-coming acts signed, Kim Sevier, Kepler-10, and Voices from the Fuselage. Oh, and did I mention that John has worked with legends of our favorite genre, including Martin Barr of Jethro Tull and the late, great John Wetton. So you can imagine how excited I was when our friend and resident reviewer, Dr. Rob Fisher, was able to help me set up an interview with John Mitchell. We had a long and winding conversation, and I'm going to let you hear some of that in this episode. Some of it I will save for a second part in a few weeks, because like I said, we chatted at length, and John has such a massive body of fantastic work for us to enjoy along the way. So let's get things rolling with a track from a now-defunct band which John was in around the turn of the century. The band was The Urbane, and I'm going to play a song called Aeroplanes from their 1999 album Neon. Stevie Nonsense is failing me again. I wish it would wash over me like seven feet of rain. And if you ask me to say, 
Just how I feel today. I'm resigned to say I feel like shit again. I'm watching little airplanes. They're zooming round the room. I can't believe the light bulb hasn't risen me from gloom. And if you ask me to say why that thing went wrong today, then I'll give you an answer real soon.
Aeroplanes by The Urbane from their 1999 album called Neon. Before we get into the interview, let's hear another from one of John's more well-known bands, and one which is still active, and in fact planning a new album and tour. The band, which also features the great Clive Nolan, is Arena, and from their 1998 album The Visitor, this is A Crack in the Ice.
just before we parted Take this moment so far away in dreams I can feel the thorns bite But the flower died it seems The ice is going to break. <laughs> yeah, uh, a crack in the ice by Arena from their album The Visitor in 1998. Now let's listen to a little of my interview with John Mitchell. 
A technical problem resulted in the first few minutes of the interview being unusable, so we will pick up here right after I asked John about being a multi-instrumentalist. But no, I mean, as, as far as I can play bass, I can play guitar, I can play keyboards or piano and keyboards, you know, same thing. Well, piano is not the same thing because it requires a different feel, but and I can play violin and uh, yeah, <laughs> that's your lot and sing a bit, I suppose. So, uh, yeah, I mean, well, that's quite a list. I mean, uh, do you think being oh, able to cello. pardon and cello as well? Cello. Oh, it's one of my favorite instruments. Um, yeah. As far as uh, being able to play those different instruments, do you, does that influence your songwriting? Yeah. I never write on, um, I very, 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 very rarely write songs on the guitar. Um, I, I kind of did when I was 21 or 22. Um, I kind of grew out of that habit because you find if you write on your sort of first instrument, you find yourself not really forcing your hand at all. You kind of fall into the same songwriting tricks, the same chord progressions. Whereas if you write, I kind of write most of my stuff on the piano, you know, because you find yourself, obviously there are certain chords that you can't reach on the guitar or are difficult to reach. So if you start writing on the piano, you kind of, you branch out a lot more. And I kind of find that if I write on the guitar, I kind of end up sounding like, the angry version of me, you know, the the, mm -hmm. the angsty old uh, sort of, you know, the Foo Fighters version of me that, when, that, that existed when I was 21 and started, you know, it all sounds a bit alt-rock indie kind of, and that's fine. I enjoy that. And I still, still some of the songs that I do, you know, uh, in recent times, of, of I, I do pick up the guitar occasionally, but, you know, depending on what kind of song I want to get across, I won't even go near a guitar. The guitar's kind of the uh, the icing on the cake for me. Okay, yeah, I, I think I understand that. I I dabble in music myself. I, I, I play several instruments badly, as you were talking about okay. before. <laughs> but, uh, you know, enough to uh, have a little fun at it. But, uh, yeah, I, I think I know what you mean. It, it's You fall into a, a comfort zone on, a, yeah, let's say, a guitar. What you're looking for is a comfort zone. And, uh, you know, I have, uh, you know, I've been playing guitar since I was, well, I've been playing piano since I was about six and guitar since I was about 12. But, obviously, I spent most of my time playing guitar from the ages of, you know, throughout my teenage years up until when I joined Arena, you know, was, I was, you know, I, I, that's all I ever played was guitar. So that kind of, I ran out of, uh, I'm not saying I ran out of ideas. I mean, when I pick up a guitar, I, I just find myself playing the same three guitar licks or, you know, impersonating Trevor mm -hmm. Ray, whatever, you know, I kind of, <laughs> <laughs> I have my go-to things, which, which is not, a, which is not, a, it's not beneficial to, uh, to being uh, sort of creative, I find, you know, you've got to get out of that zone. So, yeah, piano it is for me at the moment. Did you ever try, like, some different tunings? I know once I, I tuned up into a different tuning, and then the next thing you know, I wrote a song, and I I didn't even know what notes I was playing, but it was like, wow, this sounds good, and I had to figure out what I was playing, but it sounded good, and I based the song on yeah, that. Yeah, I've done that, actually. I, maybe I should do yeah, That's a very good idea. You just That's a great idea. I haven't even thought about that. Maybe I should start mucking around with tunings. I remember when I was a kid um, listening to a song uh, by King's X called Legal Kill, which was on... Oh, yeah. Faith, faith, hope, and love, and I remember thinking, "How the hell does he play that?" And of course, it was Nashville tuning, and I didn't even know what Nashville tuning was at the time, you know, because uh, you know, uh, teenage kids don't know what Nashville tuning is. So I kind of, I kind of, and then I started mucking around. Once I figured out how, it, what it was, it was almost Nashville tuning. Once I figured out how he did it on a twelve string, and then I started mucking around doing my own song on a twelve string in that tuning. So yeah, that's not a bad idea. I thank Great. you. For suggesting Great, I'm, I'm glad I could help. <laughs> So uh, when you write, I mean, um, while we're on the subject here, do you prefer writing alone or together with other people? Mm, I prefer writing alone, if I'm being honest. Um, I kind of, 
you know, I, I, I kind of, I've got to, um, I think it just, it's born out of the fact that I spend so much time in a, in a studio producing other people. Um, uh, I, once you get into that mindset, of, it kind of makes you quite megaloma, megalomaniacal. I think, is that, is that the word? How do you pronounce it? Yeah, that is. Megalomaniacal. Maybe that's, that's where the emphasis on the word is. Megalomaniacal. I kind of find that, you know, you start wanting to, you think to yourself, well, I could do that better and I could do that better. But of course, that's production. You know, you're not actually writing their songs. But, you know, I like the fact, I'm a bit hermit-like in that respect when I do music. I quite like, um, you know, just sitting there on my own and sort of, uh, yeah. I, although having said that, you know, some of my favorite times have been when I've been writing songs uh, with Jem Godfrey. Um, you know, we we on the last Frost album, we mm-hmm. co-wrote a couple of songs together. And that was a great experience. And we kind of written together in the past, but not for Frost. We'd kind of done it for, you know, other things, just bits and bobs and, and things. So that was a great experience. But then again, he's kind of very like-minded to me. And sometimes you find that you have to be on the same way. We like a lot of the same artists. And, you know, we have a mutual love of John Barry and, um, you know, certain chord changes and things. And you find that, you know, when you start writing with other people, you either gel or you don't. And some people just want to sound like them. You know that that everyone's got their default setting for for like my my thing is the ninth interval and kind of you know things that sound quite bleak, whereas other people kind of like the seventh interval and everything sounding a bit Beatlesy and I kind of you know I don't lend myself to that naturally you know even though I love Jellyfish and the Beatles and, and all that kind of seventy stuff you know I'm more of a kid of the eighties and the Police so I, it depends I mean I'm, I you know I'm not I'm not so close minded that I, I I'd say you know, that I would never write with anybody else. But I find more often than not that when anybody wants to write songs with me, they turn up and basically they've already got a song written and they just want me to record it really well. <laughs> <laughs> it's a trick and I'm not falling for it anymore. <laughs> All right. Well, they heard it here, huh? Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, in regard to all the different bands and projects, which you're still active in, Wow, what is it that keeps you involved with so many different ones? Are there things in common, or is it the opportunity to do different things with different people? Well, it's not really that many things I'm involved in. I mean, you know, I think people forget that things don't run concurrently. You know, there there are things that I've done in the past which I've never said that well, I'm never going to do that again. Um, but there are things that are pretty much dead in the water. You know, I would never do another. I can't see myself doing it. Although we got halfway through recording it, I, I can't see see myself doing another Urbane record, um, which was the first thing, one of the first things I did creatively mm-hmm. on my own that no one's ever heard of. <laughs> and, I um, have, I have. <laughs> okay, well, that was kind of that was the angst filled, the angst filled years. Um, I, again, you know, it bites. We haven't really done anything in the last four years. I, you know, I'm not saying never say never if the opportunity arose, but you know, every, everybody else, you know, the other guys in the band. Are, you know, I've just got different in different places in their lives right now. You know, um, I, I, everyone's asking if we ever do another It Bites record. But, you know, <clears throat> I think, uh, you know, I think it, it's I, I, I wouldn't say no, that I never want to do another one. I just don't think that, um, you know, everybody needs to be on the same page. And it kind of needs to be different to the way it was last time, because last time we made an It Bites record, I, I sort of um, I think in, I invested an awful lot of myself in the record and. And it kind of, it came apart before it was even released. You know, we, we had a manager at the time who maybe had the best interests of the band at heart, but made a lot of decisions that perhaps I found, you know, weren't, were in a negative. I mean, I don't wish to speak ill of anybody, but I think perhaps that, you know, 
I lost a lot of faith around that time in doing that because, you know, I don't I don't want anybody else to be in charge of my destiny to that degree again, you know. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, in answer to your question, you know, I know it bites, uh, you know, um, no urbane. Um, and, you know, I'm not saying there's going to be, uh, I'll, you know, I just things things. Arena is something that happens every couple of years. Uh, we, we, we've got another tour lined up uh, next year. Mm hmm. And, uh, you know, these are things that come and go, but I, you know, it's not like a, it's not like a, a horse race where all five horses leave the, uh, leave the running blocks at the same time. You know, it's, it's, um, it's, uh, you know, things come and come and go. And I, I really, you know, I, I just haven't got round to, uh, you know, I haven't got round to shooting them. Some of them dead <laughs> as it were. Okay. That's not, not the horses, the project. Right. Right. We don't want to get any animal <laughs> activists. Historical horses. <laughs> yeah. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Let's listen to some more great John Mitchell music. This is one from Frost, the Prague supergroup that features John and Jem Godfrey and has at times included the likes of John Jowett and Deck Burke. From their 2008 album Experiments in Mass Appeal, this is the title track.
again, that was Experiments in Mass Appeal by Frost, from the album of the same name in 2008. Next, we'll hear one from another band John was in earlier in this century. The band was called Kino, and featured John with Pete Trawavis of Marillion, along with Chris Maitland from Porcupine Tree, and It Bites members John Beck and Bob Dalton. From their 2005 album called Picture, this is Holding On.
holding on by Kino from their Picture album in 2005. Now let's continue with some of my interview with the great John Mitchell himself. Over the years, you have worked with a veritable who's who list of progressive rock musicians, including Clive Nolan, Pete Travis, Mick Pointer, John Jowett, Jem Godfrey, Martin Barr, and John Wetton, to name a few. Yeah. Now the, uh, the late John Wetton in particular stands out as a real legend in progressive rock music, and you recently yeah. described him as a very dear friend. So can you tell us a little bit about how you met and what it, what it was like working with John? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it was around uh, 2000, um, and he had a tour booked. I say a tour, it was actually two dates in the same building. It wasn't really a tour. He had, some, he had two dates in, in Mexico City. I believe it was Mexico City. Yeah, it was Mexico City. And uh, he parted ways uh, with Dave Kilminster, who's now playing for uh, Roger Waters. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and has played with Stephen Wilson in recent times. And he, he parted companies with Dave. And I wanted to, oh, you know, I'd always, I'd, to be honest with you, I, I was never really a, a fan of Asia. I didn't really know. My, I remember I had one Asia record. I think somebody gave me an Asia record. I think it was Asia Alpha that they gave me. But I didn't really, not that I didn't get into it. I just, it, you know, some things, you know, pass your radar and some things don't. And I can, you know, I was too far invested in Iron Maiden or whatever at the time. Mm-hmm. anyway he wanted to go to uh, Mexico City and he needed a guitarist and again uh, John Jowett um, this time put me forward for it and I think actually he saw me playing because I think he came out to Holland to do a little acoustic set with Arena and we played the Paradiso and he came out and, and opened for us and uh, yeah we kind of we, we hit it off straight away and then I you know he, I phoned him up and he asked me to come down to the studio and he was working on a record at the time which was the, what became known as Sinister. And yeah, uh, we're kind of very like-minded, you know. I mean, I, I don't really go in for, for astrology much, but he, he always put great uh, great import in the fact that we were both Gemini and we had sort of similar similar temperament and a similar sense of humour. And, um, and that's kind of, you know, I, I think, yeah, I seem to remember the first time I went in the studio with him was quite harrowing, as I recall, because... Um, he had like guests coming and going throughout the course of the day doing their little guest spots on the record. And Steve Hackett was coming down. And I say, you know, I've never been a massive early Genesis fan, but Steve Hackett comes with a lot of respect, doesn't he? He's, uh, he's quite, sure. he's, you know, he's, uh, and I've got to know Steve in recent times, although it's only recently in the last three times I've met him, he's actually managed to get my name right. But uh, he's, he's a lovely guy. And he's a very gentle soul. And yeah, I, I was just kind of, you know, you got to remember, I was in, in my sort of early 20s and uh, I was quite in awe of the fact that I was in a, a studio with John Wetton and, you know, th- these people come with, uh, with, with, with much acclaim and respect. So I was kind of sat there and I'd, I'd been doing some guitar in the morning and Steve Hackett turned up and John said, right, Steve, uh, it's time for you to do your bit. And of course, Steve Hackett, nobody really knows uh, his first instrument's harmonica. So he put down a harmonica solo on a song that uh, John had written with Ringo Starr, which is a, the name droppiest thing I think ever. And uh, <laughs> clang, clang, clang. And um, so, yeah, he did his bit. And then uh, John said, well, why don't you stick around, Steve? Uh, hang out at the studio. We're just going to be doing some more bits and bobs. And, of course, then Rob Albury, who was recording at the time, said, well, uh, yeah, what do you want to do next, John? And he goes, well, let's do some lead guitar. I'm like, oh, great. You know, (laughs) 
So there I am, sat about two feet from Steve Hackett, being asked to play lead guitar on songs I've never heard before. And that, yeah. was, that was quite intimidating. But, that, you know, as I say, that aside, that's how I got to, that's how I got to meet the guy. And, you know, we, 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 we knew each other a very long time, you know. Um, well, you know, it's and obviously, you know, it's no great secret that, you know, when I first well, when I first started playing for Johnny, I had quite a serious drinking problem, which, you know, in time he overcame. And uh, and I'm I think, you know, it, it, I'm very proud of the fact that, you know, I, I, I kind of we talked about it a great deal, you know, because. He got sober a few times until he finally got sober and he did the 12 steps. And I kind of, we spoke as my dad died of, of exactly that problem. You know, my dad was, was uh, quite a, a bad alcoholic. And I hear that. Yeah. It's very, it was, you know, it's kind of in, in a way, some of the behavioral patterns where it's kind of like, it was like watching sort of, you know, you, it's like seeing ghosts, you know, cause you know, alcoholics and you know, anybody with addiction problems, they do kind of have cycles of behavior and, but, you know, we talked about it, and, and one of the things I, I'm, you know, that makes me, gives me the warmest feeling is that when John, you know, finally did get sober, you know, he, he managed to hold on to that sobriety. Uh, he was a very different person, you know, he was, uh, and, you know, he was always late when he was drunk, and he was always, uh, he was always early when he was sober, and, he, and I was, he never noticed when he was drunk that I was always late as well until he got sober, and then he <laughs> started getting nerves a bit. <laughs> I became known, known as the terminally late John Mitchell, but um, yeah, he was um, yeah he was he was like a big brother, or you know I a, a big brother crossed with a sort of surrogate father to me, and we and I gotta be honest with you, you know when he died, I I didn't know that he was gonna die. Well, I you know I knew that he was ill, but mm-hmm. had it in my, maybe the denial part of my brain was was hoping that you know he was gonna get better because I wanted him. You know they booked a they booked an Asia tour with Journey, and I. I thought, well, if they're doing that, then he must be getting better. But um, yeah. the fact that, you know, when he got sober, you know, a lot of people, um, he let a lot of people go because I think he felt that, you know, a lot of people had betrayed his trust and taken advantage of, you know, because it, you know, they were, I don't want to go into details, but there are people, you know, when, you, when, you, when you're, uh, let's be honest, a, a successful and quite wealthy chap, you know, um, people, you know, do sort of take advantage of you, I suppose, if you have that an issue and he, he's not stupid he was a very very highly intelligent person and he let a lot of people go but he uh, he, he valued my friendship so we remained friends through uh, through through the, the the bad times and the good times and and as i say you know it was um yeah it was it, it was it was a crying shame i i am um, it's uh you know it, i'm only really coming to terms with it now because you know this is the guy i used to speak to literally i'd see him every couple of weeks we you know we'd go out for go and watch a film and then we'd have dinner and, you know, we'd see a lot of each other and he was, I was very close to him. So it's, uh, it was, it came as a complete shock to me. And, uh, my friend Simon Hanhart rang me up and said, oh, oh, are you okay? I said, what do you mean? Are you okay? And he said, well, what, what about the news? I said, what news? And he goes, well, well John's died. I'm like, I have no idea that he, he was, I didn't even know that, you know, he was close to, you know, he was, he was very private about it. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think I was only about 10 minutes of finding out on Facebook. So I'm, forever grateful to my friend Simon for, for sort of giving me a heads up because nobody wants to find out stuff like that, you know, through social media, do they? No, not at all. Yeah. And I think I was with you and so was uh, probably the rest of my audience and, you know, hoping that, you know, he, he put out some stuff. It seemed like maybe he wasn't going to get better. You know, he, he seemed optimistic and upbeat, you know, and yeah, it was just a shame. I mean, he was a true legend for sure. Yeah. I mean, he's, I think, to, to you know, 
I, I know everyone uses the word legend a lot in this day and age, but more than anything, it didn't really matter whether I was playing guitar for him or not. You know, I, I, I towards, I think we, I was pleased in a way because again, you know, I was doing busy doing it bites at one point and we had a, a tour booked to Japan and I couldn't do it. Or some dates were booked for Icon three and I couldn't do it. So we got Dave Cummins to back in. And I, I think the last tour that he did or the last trip to Japan was with me again and Martin Orford, who we hadn't played with for some time. And my friend, Steve Alexander, who's a good friend of mine, who's a drummer, used to be in Duran Duran and Jeff Beck group. And uh, it was just really nice to sort of, you know, come full circle and, and, remember what it was like you know being out there with him you know and to be honest with you at the time you know i i was uh i was going down a dark road of drinking far too much myself and he was kind of he was quite uh you know he's quite fatherly towards me so that was good you know and yeah. um yeah and I'm, I'm glad that we did but as i said it didn't really matter whether or not i played guitar for him or you know we tried writing some songs together at one point and it didn't really click because you know he had different ways of doing stuff to me and but it didn't matter because we were friends first and foremost. And, you know, it really didn't matter at all. I think he ended up writing an album with Billy Sherwood. And, but, right. you know, it, it's, it, wasn't, it, was, it was no problem, you know. It was, um, it, was, it, was about, it was about us being our friendship more than anything, you know. And I sang at his funeral. And that was a great honor. I imagine, yeah. I want to thank you for sharing all that with us, really. Well, thank you. It's, 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 it's good to talk about it more than anything because, um, you know, it's... it's uh, it's a lot of stuff I haven't really properly dealt with, you know? Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, it hits everybody, you know, sooner or later. If you hang around long enough, you see a lot of people die. I'm starting to realize that the older I get, you know, it's just, uh, yeah. what are you going to do? You know, keep but going. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, on to lighter topics, maybe. Huh? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Let, <laughs> let's do that. <laughs> um, so you and Chris Hillman recently launched White Star Records. Can you tell yeah. us a little bit about how that came about and what you're trying to do with the label? Yeah, uh, he, he had a band uh, called Flutatious, and he wanted a mix doing, um, uh, and they kind of recorded it themselves at home, which is never a good idea. It's, uh, you know, uh, much as, you know, I don't want to be a, a, a recording fascist, but, you know, there's a lot of people out there who think they can cut corners and, uh, you know, I, the fact of the matter is it requires, I do think there's a lot of uh, credence in having a third party oversee, you know, a third party with, uh, with perhaps slightly fascist leanings when it comes to tuning and timing, overseeing <laughs> or recording. That's me, by the way. Um, dictatorial instincts and megalom megalomaniacal behavior. So yeah, I kind of mixed it and I spent a fair amount of time, uh, moving stuff around and putting it into time and making the performances a bit tighter and up to scratch. He loved the mix. Uh, he came around, he chatted to me. He said, have you ever thought about doing a label? I said, well, I have, but I'm lazy sometimes and I, I wouldn't know where to begin. So it seemed like an obvious thing um, that we would partner up, you know, and he's got a very good business brain, you know, um, it's, which is what you need really. Cause you know, if I ran a record label on my own, I'd imagine if we, every penny that we made, I just, I'd, I'd spend on nonsense. So he's very good at, you know, holding the purse strings and making sure we're sensible and, and not overspending and, you know, you know, just being, uh, well, basically business minded, you know, not over investing in things and, and, and putting money in the right areas so that they, uh, you know, hopefully come to fruition and uh yeah it's been it's been a great I mean, initially the idea was just for my own stuff but um you know i kind of at the time when i first started doing lonely robot um 
Thomas at the label approached me and said, well, you know, he was asking about whether I want to do another It Bites record or want to do this, that and the other. And I was like, well, no, not really. But he says, why don't you do something new? And I said, okay, then. So I kind of signed the contract before we'd really got White Star off the ground. So I was kind of full steam ahead with Lonely Robot. And although the intention is still there to use White Star as a vehicle for doing my own things in the future, you know, um, I'm, you know, I'm quite happy, you know, being contracted to uh, Century Media or Inside Out through the Sony portal of uh, distribution and um, doing things that way. But we've signed, as I said, it's been great fun working on the things that we have worked on. Uh, Kepler 10, who are a great band. Kim Sevier, who's, whose album I'm very proud of. That You know, we both contributed and collaborated on that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and Voices from the Fuselage, you know, and we've got some, we've got some great, great things coming up, which I'm, I can't talk about until, uh, you know, uh, contracts are signed in blood. But, you know, fingers crossed, next year's going to be another, you know, another very successful year. I mean, it's madness even thinking about starting a record label in this current uh, economic climate or, you know, where kids out there think that uh, new people that spend money on music are insane. But yeah. uh, fortunately, the, the, uh, the small pond in which I inhabit is, uh, is, uh, is supported by uh, people of a certain age group with disposable income who think that tactile ownership of product is still a worthwhile endeavor. That's quite yes. a mouth, isn't it? <laughs> oh. oh, you hit it on the head, though. Yeah. yeah. So that's how it came about. And, uh, yeah, it's been great fun. And, uh, and it's nice having a business card that says CEO, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> so no, I, you... don't have a business, I don't have a business card that says CEO, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> You'll have to edit that out. Oh, <laughs> uh, I... Oh, that's the juicy stuff that you have to leave in. That's <laughs> do what you like. <laughs> Don't go anywhere. Prague Watch will be right back. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Like I said, we'll finish up the interview on another program. But let's finish this one up with more great music featuring our man John Mitchell. Like this next one, which features John supporting prog rock legend John Wetton on his Live from the Underworld album in 2003. It's a great version of the UK classic In the Dead of Night.
Again, that was In the Dead of Night by John Wetton, supported by his friend and the focus of our program, John Mitchell. It can be found on the Live from the Underworld album from 2003. Next, let's spin an It Bites tune featuring John Mitchell. 
a little number called This Is England from the Tall Ships album in 2008. Watch, strap tight He reels from indifference Out of sight Emotional severance He pays to you It's a walk in the park It's a steal So we all fall down At your heels Watch, strap tight He's dreaming of reverence Splintered to feel insignificance I've got plenty of time for you I'm so ready to fly With nowhere to fly to Pick yourself up just today Can we get it together Not throw it away At the end of the day You're going home Again. 
This is England by It Bites, from the 2008 album The Tall Ships. In 2016, John put out a solo record under his own name called The Nostalgia Factory. I believe it was the first release for the White Star record label. Anyway, from it, this is the title track. Thank you. 
The Nostalgia Factory by John Mitchell from the album of the same name in 2016. Let's finish things off with a tune from John's fantastic Lonely Robot project. From the latest Lonely Robot album called The Big Dream, this is the title track.
Again, that was The Big Dream, the title track of the latest Lonely Robot album released earlier this year. So I hope you enjoyed this program. Watch for a part two with the rest of my conversation with John Mitchell and more great music from his various projects and bands coming soon to a Prague Watch near you. Until next time, Prague on, brothers and sisters. <laughs>